Well, good evening. Good to see each one of you back in the Lord's house tonight. Would you stand with me, please? Let's turn to page number 462. Page number 462 as we begin tonight. Higher ground. We'll sing the first, the third, and the last verse as we begin. Page 462. Sing out with me on the first. I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I'm onward bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand. By faith on heaven's table land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. I want to live above the world, though Satan's darts at me are hurled. For faith has caught the joyful sound, the song of saints on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table and a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. I want to scale the utmost height and catch a gleam of glory bright. For still I'll pray till heaven I found. Lord, lead me on to higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Amen. Good start tonight. Amen. That's a blessing. Kind of goes along with our message tonight. Amen. Sure thankful that you are uh, here tonight and trust you had a good afternoon. And uh, man, I'm telling you, enjoyed uh, getting into the Word this morning and uh, seeing that physicians heal uh, thyself. And uh, what a blessing. That's the generation that we live in that wants to point the finger back and say, you know, stop judging me and all this other stuff. No, we're just trying to help you. Amen. And uh, what a blessing. Looking forward to tonight as we get back into the kings and the prophets. And so let's pray tonight and uh, certainly want to have God's hand and, and blessing on our services tonight. I'm going to ask Brother John Ellis if you would pray for us tonight, brother. And why don't you be seated uh, tonight? And I uh, did just want to mention a few things. Of course, don't forget about, of course, if you have kids in Faith Baptist School. I mentioned this this morning, but Valentine's Day falls on uh, February the 14th, uh, which is a Wednesday. Uh, it's always on February 14th. I don't know why. So I need some more coffee again. But anyways, they moved it to the 13th, which is Tuesday. And so it'll be at 1, at 1 to 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So parents, be aware your kids are going to come home Tuesday afternoon with a lot of sugar in them. Amen. Uh, also, uh, there is one last set of volleyball and basketball games uh, coming up this Friday. It'll actually be away this time uh, at Heritage Baptist uh, Church. Those will be starting at 5 o'clock 
in the evening if you'd like to partake of that. And then also this coming Saturday, uh, February the 17th, is our churchwide outreach that will be over in the Fellowship Hall at 1030 in the morning. And then also wanted to mention this next Sunday night, our youth director, Brother Tim uh, Quinlan, will be preaching uh, again as we will be uh, traveling that afternoon and uh, heading to the GIBF meeting. And so Brother Tim will be preaching win uh, Sunday night and then Brother Eric will be preaching uh, that uh, Wednesday night. And then also wanted to mention this, ladies, don't forget about the ladies' meeting that is normally in February has been moved to March uh, the 12th, and so make sure that you're aware of that. That's on a Tuesday at 7 o'clock. There's a potato bar. And then also something else that's coming up in March is our youth rally. Uh, looking forward to that uh, this year. And so there's some flyers there on the back table. Maybe you have some neighbors or something like that. Uh, that have some young kids, you want to invite them, certainly make yourself uh, available uh, to those. Okay, Brother Eric, come on ahead uh, tonight. Let's turn to page 305 together. I'll let you remain seated for this song tonight. Page 305, He Set Me Free. We'll sing all three verses as we sing this out tonight. Once like a bird in prison I dwell, no freedom from my sorrow I fell. But Jesus came and listened to me, and glory to God, He set me free. He set me free, He set me free. He broke the bonds of prison for me. I'm glory bound by Jesus to see, for glory to God, He set me free. Now I am climbing higher each day. Darkness of night has drifted away. My feet are planted on higher ground. And glory to God, I'm homeward bound. He set me free. He set me free. He broke the bonds of prison for me. I'm glory bound by Jesus to see. For glory to God, He set me free. Goodbye to sin and things that confound. Not of this world shall turn me around. Daily I'm working, I'm praying to. And glory to God, I'm going through. He set me free, He set me free. He broke the bonds of prison for me. I'm glory bound by Jesus to see. For glory to God, He set me free. Well, if you're set free, say amen tonight. Praise the Lord. What a great day it's been in the Lord's house today. I'm going to ask Brother Josh Whitney if you'd pray for the offering tonight, please. Amen.
Thank you, ladies. Let's all stand together one last time uh, this evening. Let's turn to page number 11. <clears throat> page number 11, all three verses tonight. Come thou found of every blessing. Page number 11. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet, sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy Love. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I'm come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger. Interposed his precious blood. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy grace, Lord, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Amen. Great singing tonight. Let's go ahead and remain standing. Go ahead and get your Bibles ready for the message tonight. Thank you, brother. I just can't believe you didn't know that already. Amen. I had to, had to call an audible. You got to sing about Ebenezer. Amen. And uh, you're going to preach about it. You got to sing about it. And uh, what a blessing. I was telling our men, it didn't dawn on me till this evening, it's, uh, I think this Sunday, today is like our six years anniversary being at Faith Baptist Church. And some of you are like, man, that's been a long time. Amen. Hopefully not too long. Amen. First Samuel chapter number seven tonight, first Samuel chapter number seven, and uh, uh, Lord willing, trusting that you'll remember uh, if, if you did, um, uh, of course, uh, the men of Kerjath Jerem now have uh, the ark, and they certainly treated it much better than the men of Beshemesh did, uh, as they set a guard up. And then, of course, they begin to uh, they begin to set some things in order uh, with God as they went to Samuel uh, in uh, verse number three, and it says, "And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If you do return unto the Lord." Uh, with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you and prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve him only and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. And then in verse number four, then the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtaroth and serve the Lord only. So that's praise God right there. Amen. But now we're going to pick up in verse number five and I want you to see what happens. And the Bible says this, and Samuel said, gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray for you unto the Lord. And they gathered together to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah. 
And when the Philistines heard that the, that the children of Israel gathered, were gathered together to Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling, uh, sucking lamb and offered it for a burnt offering, holy unto the Lord. And then I thought to myself, poor little fellow. And, and notice it says, And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel, and the Lord heard him. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel, but the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomfited them, and they were smitten before Israel. Mercy how different that was from chapter 4. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and smote them until they came under, uh, under Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shin and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. And so the Philistines were subdued. They came no more unto the coast of Israel. The hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron even unto Gath, and the coast thereof did Israel deliver uh, out of the hands of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites, and Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And he went from year to year in circuit to Bethel and Gilgal and Mizpah, and judged Israel in all those places. Samuel was a circuit-riding preacher, amen. And his return was to Ramah, for there was his house, and there he judged Israel, and there he built an altar to the Lord. So here's what I want, you, I want to preach on, on, on this subject tonight. You saw Ebenezer there. And what I want to preach to you tonight on is this, how to go from Ichabod to Ebenezer. How to go from Ichabod to Ebenezer, and I do want to say this tonight, there's a little bit more to this than a Charles Dickens novel, amen. All right, Ichabod and Ebenezer, and so we're going to see this tonight. Father, pray that you bless the preaching now in Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you be seated uh, tonight? You know, the truth is, all of this really started back in chapter 4, when Israel was serving their idols. They treated the Ark of, Covenant, Ark of the Covenant like a good luck charm. And so after losing a skirmish with the Philistines, Israel brings the ark out thinking that it's going to give them the victory in their next encounter. The problem is this, is that Israel didn't need it, it needed a him. It didn't need the ark of God, it needed the God of the ark. And when you're, listen, when you're living for idols in your personal life, I'm just telling you right now, lip service will, unto God will only get you so far and Israel finds that out in the, in the hard way. As a result of that whole debacle, uh, Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are, are killed. The ark, of course, is taken by the Philistines. Eli hears the news and, and falls over and dies. His, and as his daughter-in-law 
uh, as she is about to die, giving birth to uh, his grandson, she hears all of this and names that child Ichabod, meaning this, the glory of the Lord had departed. So now, if you go back up to verse number two of chapter number seven, we are more than 20 years out from what happened in chapter number four. But more so, and we know this, much, much has happened since chapter number four. We know this, the Philistines decided they didn't want the ark. And certainly that's quite a story as Dagon falls down and the judgment of God begins to fall upon the Philistines. And, and then we also saw this, that the men of Beshemesh realized they didn't want the ark either because they had opened it and the judgment of God fell upon them. But what I would say to you tonight is this, is that something even greater has happened in our text. You see, though Israel is now in possession of the ark of God, they also realize, well, we need the God of the ark. And so they are, listen, listen to this, they are tired of living under the bondage of, of the Philistines. So now they have come to Samuel and they have said, what, what do we need to do, Samuel, to get right with, with our God? And so where you and I pick up tonight, Israel has gotten their personal lives uh, in, in order with, with, uh, with God. They, they have uh, the false god of Ashtaroth, it says, that we read there, and Balaam. Uh, they are all out. Jehovah God is in, praise the Lord. And so now they meet at Mizpah, and God shows himself mighty. The Philistines are defeated in verse number 12, or end in verse number 12. Samuel sets up this stone to, to memorialize the occasion, and he calls it, the Bible says, Ebenezer, and then it tells you the meaning because it says this, Hitherto the Lord hath helped us. That, that's, that's what it means. So, so, so here's the thing. They go from Ichabod, the glory of the Lord has departed, to Ebenezer, hitherto the Lord has helped us. Now, I want you to think about this, and I thought about this as well. Hitherto the Lord hath helped, has helped us, or hath helped us. Listen, if grace in the New Testament is defined as God's help, then Ebenezer is the grace of God in the Old Testament. You ever think about that? But here's the point of the text tonight. Israel goes from Ichabod to Ebenezer from the glory of the Lord departing to the grace of God now helping. You, you know, I, I would say to you tonight, I, I don't know, just reading this and thinking about this, you know, the first thing that I thought of was this. This shows us tonight that God is a merciful God. I mean, really, you've got to see that. See, I mean, think about this. Though you go back to chapter number four where where Eli's daughter-in-law names her child Ichabod, the glory of, of God had departed. The reality is this, God was still behind the scenes working and doing things in their lives. He had not left them nor forsaken them just as he promises us. Though the glory of God had departed, that's what they claim. The reality is God was still there all along. It reminds me of the famine when the prodigal son went into the far country. You ever think about that? You understand, that's not, please don't listen to me. Don't look at that tonight and go, well, boy, that guy sure was lucky. 
No, that, that's not luck at all. That's not happenstance. That's not, that's not chance. Rather, though, though the sun went into the far country, listen to me, the God of heaven and earth knew exactly where he was at, at the whole time and did what he needed to do to get his spiritual attention. And I'm so thankful tonight for a merciful God, aren't you? But on the other side of that, Israel shows us. Israel shows us what you and I must do if we're to go from Ichabod to, to Ebenezer in, in our own spiritual lives. And make no mistake, though God was certainly at work, listen to this, Israel still had the responsibility to respond to those things. And, and we must get to that, listen, and we must understand that as well. We must get to that place, friend, where we are sick of living in the bondage of our sin in the misery that comes with that. And then we must cast out the idols of our life and turn to God with, with our whole hearts. And when we do, if we will simply follow the example that Israel lays out before us right here, I'm telling you, we can go from Ichabod to Ebenezer in, in our life. You know what? It's amazing how, how traveling physically from one destination to another has changed over the years. It really, it really has. I was thinking about yesterday, I was thinking about this as I was, you know, looking at this, and I was thinking about the first trip that we ever took uh, to the Midwest, to Springfield, uh, Missouri. Listen, I, I, I am a homebody. I don't get out very much unless I'm asked to get out or forced to get out, all right? And so that's just the way I was always raised. We didn't go very far from home. I didn't go far, I didn't go down into, far down into South Florida uh, too often, uh, unless, you know, uh, just because, well, you get too far south, it's no longer Florida, it's a little Cuba. And I didn't go to the north because who wants to go in the north? They don't have sweet tea. And, and so we just, we just didn't get out very much. And so this was our first time going to Springfield, Missouri. I had, I had answered the call uh, to preach. And so my, my pastor at that time was my wife's grandfather, and so we followed them all the way up to Springfield, Missouri to go to Baptist uh, Bible College there. And I'm telling listen, we still laugh today about that trip because we get out early in the morning and we leave Pensacola, Florida. And we, listen, we, we don't even get going good and we make it to Mobile in about 45 minutes to an hour and we stop at McDonald's. And I'm not talking about we go through the drive-thru. We stop and we get out and we go eat breakfast. And I'm sitting there chomping at the bit, and I'm watching all these cars that I just passed. You ever feel like that, man? When you pass all these cars and you stop, they're passing you. You're starting to lose. You're getting behind in the NASCAR race. You understand what I'm saying? The pit crew needs to tighten up. Let's go get my hamburger. I got to get back out on the road. I got to pass. All right. Anyway, that's just me. So I'm thinking, man, I'm, listen, so we finally get back on the road after I'm just at my wits in with these people. Let's go. Then we stop at Hattiesburg, Mississippi, which is about another hour and a half away. Listen, we hit every stop, every major town that we went through, we stopped at. It took us more than 12 hours to get to Jonesboro, Arkansas, which is only about five to eight hours away, depending on how slow or fast you drive. And we finally get there at night that night, and we check into the hotel, and my, my pastor, my wife's grandfather, gets out this one little overnight bag for him and grandmother. And at that time, we had Taylor with us who was two months old. I had everything loaded up in that vehicle outside of the kitchen sink and I had to unload everything in the hotel. 
And I'm just furious, man. Listen, I can make it. I can still make it from Springfield to Pensacola, Florida in 12 hours. We only made, we didn't, we made, barely made it halfway. Anyways, but here's what's crazy. I can also remember pulling out an atlas to get there. Anybody remember those things? And now we just, now we just pull out our phones and we, you know, plug it in and then we have Siri tell us what to do. I, I can even remember when I started pastoring in Cassville. I'll tell you, I'll tell you publicly right now. My first major purchase as the pastor of Bible Baptist Church was a Garmin GPS. Because I knew, I knew we, when we were youth directors, we always had a volunteer family that drove the buses and they drove us through Oklahoma City. And I had no idea where I was at in Oklahoma City and I saw the way those people drive. And I knew that as I pastored Bible Baptist Church, I was going to have to drive in Oklahoma City and I was scared to death. So I went and bought a Garmin GPS. We lived on Presley Drive, so I called her Priscilla, Elvis's wife. So Elvis's wife told me how to drive until I got the phone and then Siri took over. All right, I'm just trying to help you tonight. Some of you are like, man, I didn't sign up for all this. This is way too much information, Pastor. Now here, listen, but here's why I'm telling you this. Listen to me tonight. Things may have changed on how you navigate over the past 20 years, but what's really not changed is the highways and the roads you take. And what I'm saying to you tonight is this, is that the same could be said spiritually about going from Ichabod to Ebenezer. Listen to me, things may have changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament, but the road's still the same. And you and I need to understand that tonight. And let's make something else clear. You de- if you, you definitely, listen, you definitely want to get to Ebenezer in your spiritual life. Some, some, listen, I get it. Some physical destinations we dread. <laughs> like Oklahoma. No. Some physical destinations we dread. But I'm telling you, li- listen, th- this, is, this is a must for our spiritual de- destination. Well, why do you say that, preacher? Well, here's why. Look at the outcome. Look, look at the victory over their enemies. Look, look at the retaking of the cities. And, and the ground, all of which are a picture, are a spiritual picture for us. And, and how when we're living in Ebenezer, when, we're, when we have the grace of God in our lives, I'm just saying to you, we have victory over our sin. We, we, have, we have ground. Listen, we're taking back ground that the devil has been ruling over, whether it be in our homes or our marriages or, or the relationships that we have with our children or the time that we have or, or the talent. And listen, the list could go on and on, but what I'm saying to you tonight is this, is that Ebenezer is by far better than Ichabod and the glory of the Lord departed. But you need to understand this tonight. You're not gonna get, you're not gonna get the ground that you, that you want back and you're not going to get victory over sin. You're not going to do it without God's grace and God's help in Ebenezer. That's just the reality of the matter. And here's something else. When you get there, learn to live there. This is not a vacation destination where you stay for a couple of weeks and then you go back to the old way. No, friend. Learn to live there. Learn to stay there. So, so now that you and I have seen all of this, why we need to be there, where we need to be spiritually, and really this, that things have not changed in how we do this. Well, what is it then that Israel does here? 
that you and I need to, need to follow in, in our own personal lives. Well, the first thing that I see to you, what, what, that I see here and that I would say to you tonight is this, is that I believe they got very serious about seeking the Lord. I want you to look with me, if you would, at verse number five. It says this, and Samuel said, Gather Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray for you un unto the Lord. And, and notice in verse six, And they gathered together to Mizpah, and drew water, and poured it out before the Lord, and fasted on that day, and said there, Now, now look, at look, at their, look at their spirit, their attitude. We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah. It's pretty interesting. In verse number five, Samuel instructs Israel, who again in the previous verses has thrown out Balaam and thrown out Astaroth, and they put some things in order. And he says to them, I want you to meet me in Mizpah. Mizpah is an area believed to be just to the north of, of Jerusalem. It, it really, in the life of Samuel and, and the kings and the prophets, it hasn't even been mentioned. But as you begin to study the Scriptures, you'll find out there's quite a bit of history here. There was a judge who lived in Israel, or I'm sorry, uh, in Mizpah. His name was Jephthah. Some of you uh, would remember Jephthah, and uh, as you've read through the Scriptures, or maybe taught or preached in in Judges, this was the judge, if you remember, who made an agreement with God to sacrifice the first thing that, that came out of his house to meet him if, as he was going home, if God would give him the victory. And, and many of you know the story. It was actually his daughter that came out first and greeted him. And, and, and no, let me just be clear on this. I don't believe that he literally sacrificed her but I do believe that she became a living sacrifice to God for the rest of her days. All right, but, but here's the other thing that, that happened. Mizpah was also the place where Israel met at the end of Judges to come to an agreement on dealing with the tribe of Benjamin who had done some very vile and, and wicked things. Mizpah, did you know this? Mizpah goes all the way back to Genesis 31 where Laban tracks down Jacob after Jacob left in the cover of night and got out of there. And here's why he had to do that, because Laban would have never let him leave. But he tracks down Jacob, and in the night he has a dream, and God says, don't you mess with my guy. And so, and so he finally meets with Jacob, and it's there at Mizpah that they make a covenant together. Now, I want you to think about this. Mizpah was a place where consistently throughout history, two opposing sides came together in agreement and made a covenant with one another. Samuel, what do we do? Let's go to Mizpah. Why? Because you're not right with God. You're in opposition with Him. But you're ready now to get in agreement with Him. No, 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 no. It's not His fault. It's you. But now you're saying, I'm wrong. He be right. And I want Him to be my God. 
Let's make a covenant together. Anybody get what I'm saying tonight? So, so this is why they, they go to Mizpah. This is also interesting to note. You ever think about this? That here is Samuel. He's got two opposing parties. God in Israel who's been living in sin. And Samuel is going to serve as a mediator to bring those two opposing parties together. What a picture of Jesus Christ who is the one mediator between God and man. And let's make no mistake, it's not him. It's us. It's we're the ones that's wrong. But it's Jesus Christ who takes the hand of God but then reaches way down low for you and me and brings us together in agreement in a covenant that lasts for all eternity. Somebody say amen. You understand that that's the idea here. And so Israel, look at verse number six closely. Notice what happens. It says, and they gathered together to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out unto the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. It's our fault. And Israel, and Samuel judges Israel, it goes on to say that that day. Listen, I'm just telling you, Israel understood. God's not the one at fault. They are. And they had repented and they hadn't gotten rid of Balaam and Ashtaroth in the previous verses. And so, listen, now they're saying it's our fault. And and if you notice, did you notice this? It says this. It says that they poured out water and fasted to demonstrate the seriousness of seeking God. There's a lot of speculation about them bailing up water, taking up water, and then pouring it out before the Lord. Some think it represents purity. They were sending the message that they had truly repented. And I listen, I, I certainly couldn't argue that. I, I think, you know, that certainly could be one of those things. But to me, this is what I thought about. When they poured it out, I don't know if it reminded you of anything, but you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of when David and his mighty men were trapped in a cave. And David said, oh man, if I could just have a drink from one of the wells in Bethlehem. And son, one of them mighty men jumped out, said, heard, his, heard his king say that, and jumped out and broke through the enemies and went all the way to Bethlehem and got some water and brought it all back and brought it to David in the cave. And you know what David did with it? Instead of drinking it, he poured it out unto the Lord. Now I've got to be honest with you, if I was that mighty man, I'd have kind of been thinking to myself, what man, what in the... You owe me for that, Jack. You understand what I'm saying? But the reality is this, is that David had dedicated it unto the Lord. Listen to this. Though he thirsted and wanted it badly, he gave it to God. I believe it's the same thing here. Look, look, look. It says this, that they poured out the water and they fasted. Now please listen to this. It's one thing to fast from food. That, that, that your body... Craves, but but I'm telling you, listen, I'm telling you, your body can live for a while without food. I hate to ruin anybody's chicken wings or pizza later on tonight, but I'm just telling you, your body can do that. Not saying you got to do it tonight, I'm just telling you. All right, but but here's what I also know is that it cannot survive very long without water. Water's of a greater necessity than food. And Israel was saying this, we're fasting from food, but we're pouring the water out too. Even though our body craves it, listen to me, 
even though our body, cra our body craves it, we're pouring it out before the Lord because He's more important to us. We don't need, listen, we don't need just bread. We need the bread of life. We don't need just water. We need the water of life. See, that's, that's what Israel is demonstrating in their seriousness in, 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 seeking, in seeking the Lord. What, I, I, listen, when you're, li, listen to this principle. When you're serious about something, you will give up what's most precious to you. When you're serious about it, you really mean business. I, I'm just, listen, listen when, I, when I surrendered to preach, um, we, we were in the middle of building what we've, what we've called over the years our dream house. We were building, it was going to be a four-bedroom brick house. It was going to be, uh, it was, uh, you know, on an acre of property there on the west side of Pensacola. This was going to be where we raised our, our kids, our, our family. We had worked hard for it. We had picked out our own plans and bought a piece of property. I mean, listen, we were all in on this thing. We were pumped and we were excited. But then God began to deal with me about preaching and we knew, we both knew that, that as God began to call me to preach, we knew this, we're going to have to sell that house and get rid of it and go where God wants us to go. So this is what we did. We finished building the house. We actually moved into the house. And then I think it was about six to eight months later, we sold the house and moved to Springfield, Missouri. And I've had people ask me, man, how... How in the world did you do that? That here it is, you, this is something that you had longed for in your life. This was something that you and your wife had worked hard for. This was a plan that, that you guys had. How, how did you do that? Hey, how, how did it feel when you loaded up that big U-Haul and you pulled away from that house that you had invested so much in? And i got to be honest with you, my answer has always been this. It really wasn't that big of a deal. So how can someone go from being this being their dream house and where they're going to raise their family to selling it and getting rid of it without a blink of an eye? Well, here's why. Because we were serious about God's calling on our life. You understand when you're serious, listen to me, when you're serious about the things of God, I'm just telling you tonight, you're willing to give up the things that are most precious to you. Sometimes those things are okay in and of themselves, like a house or, or food or water, but you'll be willing to give it up. And it's no different right here. I'll tell you something, friend. It's, if you're truly serious about being sick of your bondage and misery, You'll be willing to sacrifice and give up whatever it is God wants you to give up so that you can be an Ebenezer with Him. Listen, listen, and it won't be some lip service. And it won't be good intentions. Because we got plenty of that in our day and time. But I'm telling you, friend, when somebody decides, listen, I'm tired of this stuff. I'm done with this stuff. Preacher, I want Ebenezer. I want victory tonight. I want to, listen, I want the grace of God on my life. Then you give up what is precious to you. You give it up when you get serious about the things of God. That's just the reality. That's, that's what Israel is doing. Now, let me tell you why this is so important. Look at verse number 7. And when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together to Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid 
They were afraid of the Philistines. You want to, you want to know why it's so important that you get serious about seeking the Lord? And here's why. Here's why. Because once you do, your enemy's going to rage. He's going to rage, friend. I, listen, Israel has gathered together, man. They're fasting. They're, they're pouring water out. They're saying, hey, it's our fault, God. It's not you. It's us. And we want to get right with you. And Samuel's judging them and saying, listen, you still got some things here and some things there. You need to get these things straight. Yes, sir, Samuel, whatever you say, Sam, you're the man of God with the Word of God. We'll do what's asked. And the next thing you know, the Philistines show up. How convenient. But isn't that how he works? Didn't we just, excuse me, didn't we just see this principle when Jesus was starting his earthly ministry? And the very first thing he has to endure is temptation from the enemy? Well, why? Because anytime you set out to do what God says to do, so I'm telling you, the enemy's going to be right there to try to fight against that. To hinder that, to, to be in opposition. Folks, this is why we, we must be serious. Listen to me. Because lip service and good intentions will turn back. And I sure have seen a lot of that. I've listened. I've seen, I've seen God. I remember taking a guy home. He got saved. His, his fiance got saved. He got saved. And I remember taking him home one night on a Wednesday night in the church van. And he's looking at me going, man, preacher, I'm so, listen, I'm all in. I'm committed. I'm in. No matter what happens, I'm in. I'm in. He wasn't in for two more months. Talk. Talk. You really want to get serious about God, give up what's precious to you. Because I'm telling you, your enemy's going to rage. When you are resolved to the point that you have, you, have, you, you have nothing left to rely in in and of yourself as Israel did right here. Isn't this amazing that they're fasting from food, they're dumping out water, they're not drinking it, they're dehydrated, they're weak, and the enemy shows up. But here's what Israel's saying. We're serious about this. Listen, listen to me. There is no plan B. Not here. We're dumping it out. Lord, there's no plan B here. We're not trusting in ourselves. We're not eating anything. We're not banking on nothing. We're not calling anybody. We're just, listen, you're it. It's you or nothing. It's you or we die. That's serious. And you need to, listen, you need to understand that when you do that, when you do that, when you do that, I'm telling you, Listen, that's when the enemy attacks. But here's the other thing. When you're serious about it, what I have found is this, is that the enemy will have a fight on his hands he wasn't ready for. Well, why is that pretty? Well, it's not because we're anything special. It's just the greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We got two dumb dogs, man. If anybody wants them, let me know. Huck and Finn. So the first dog we had was named Finn, and then we got another little dog, and so we decided to call him Huck, and so now we got the Huck-Finn duo. Finn, our dog Finn is a giant, a great Pyrenees mix. He is a walking hair tornado. Huge dog. We call him the gentle giant. 
And Huck is the, is the Jack Russell Terrier. He's still a puppy. And he is like, he is like a two-year-old toddler right now. And he, I'm pretty sure he knows that his main responsibility is to aggravate the daylights out of the giant dog. Because that's what he does. And so sometimes th this will happen where we'll give, we'll give Finn, you know, his food and, and put some food in his bowl. And then we'll put Huck in the big dog crate and give him his food because you got to separate them. He gets the puppy chow. Finn gets the whatever allergic stuff, I don't know. Anyways, he gets his food. And so anyways, we separate them. But, you know, the, the toddler, he doesn't like nursery. So after a while, you got to let him out. Well, Finn's still not done eating, but he thinks, I should annoy him. So we'll be sitting upstairs. And this is what we hear. Thankfully, we haven't heard, you know. And <laughs> you know, listen, you know why he's doing that? Because the little one's messing with his territory. You start taking the things of God seriously, you know why your enemy's going to rage? Because you're dabbling in stuff that he, belongs to him right now. And he knows he's got the power to overtake it. And he's going to rage. Listen to me. Make no mistake, friend. It's, it's not a coincidence as soon as somebody gets saved. All the stuff that begins to happen in their lives. All the turmoil. All the difficulty. All the struggles. Make no mistake, as soon as somebody decides, I'm going I'm to I'm follow Christ in obedience. I'm going to get baptized and be a part of His church and serve Him. Make no mistake, friend, the enemy's going to rage. Well, I'm, you know, preacher, I'm going to go all in and, and I'm surrendering. Listen, I'm giving everything up. I'm going to do what God, I'm going to live for God. Listen, you better watch out. The enemy's going to rage. Well, preacher, God's calling me and I'm going, I'm going to submit and I'm going to answer the call. You better watch out. The enemy's going to rage. Please listen to me and you better make sure that it's more than just lip service or good intentions, but that you are all in on Him and you are committed because the enemy is going to rage. He's just going to rage. Now let me give you the last thing. Look at verse number 8. The children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that He will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. I'm telling you, I love Israel's spirit through this whole thing. And then look at verse number 9. And Samuel took a suckling lamb, offered it for a burnt offering holy unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel, and the Lord heard him. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to the battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomfited them. And they were smitten before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and smote them until they came to Beth Car, And of course, we know the rest of it. Samuel sets the stone up, uh, calls it Ebenezer because the Lord had helped them. But here's the last thing tonight. So number one, you need to make sure that you're taking the, you take the things of God seriously. Number two, you better be aware that the enemy's going to rage. But number three is this. I'm telling you, you need to listen to this tonight. You must have continual prayer and worship to God in your life. 
If you are going to live in Ebenezer, or if you're going to get there and you're going to stay there, you have got to have continual prayer and worship unto God in your life. I think the greatest mistake that you and I could make here is that we think that this is an instantaneous or even a one-time event. Now I get, listen, yes, what takes place in verses 8 and, and 9 and even down in 10 where God thunders and discomfits uh, the Philistines, no doubt that's a one-time event. I think you could see that. But what happens in verses 13 and on down, what happens is this, is it's really a campaign. Israel goes out and finishes defeating their enemy and taking back the lands that God had given unto them. What is also interesting to note is that the two cities it mentions from Ekron and Gath is where the ark was in possession of the Philistines in the previous chapters. That means this, that was ground that the Philistines had, but it actually belonged to Israel and now they're going to take it back. You ever think about that? But here's the point. One of the greatest fallacies of American Christianity is this, is that we want an instant fix for a lifetime of problems. And folks, I'm telling you, that's exactly why we see so few actually stick it out and make it from Ichabod to Ebenezer in their life. And I, listen, and I thought about it, listen, I, don't get me wrong, I, I, I think there's a lot of false teachings out there on this. The health wealth gospel and all this other nonsense and prosperity gospel and all this other foolishness, that's not the Bible. You, you understand, I don't have time to get all in all of that, but I, listen, certainly part of me as a preacher wants to take responsibility and say, well, maybe... It is because of what is, what is taught. But i got to be honest with you. I tend to believe this. It has far more to do with the instantaneous culture that we live in. We have the attention span of a gnat. We do. Which is why if somebody preaches longer than 30 minutes anymore, half of God's people are like, I can't take this. And I'm thinking, man, you, you wouldn't have survived back in the day. I mean, when guys stood up and preached for an hour and a half, two hours, and you just, you weren't even getting going. It's like Brother Sam Thomas, our missionary over in India, man. Then people walk to get to where they're worshiping God at, and you better come packing with like an hour and a half, two hour message, or they're going to be mad at you. And we sitting in the comforts of a pew and go home, and if a TV show doesn't keep our interest after about five minutes, we turn the channel, and half time I think we do the same thing in church. We just turn it off in our mind. We have the attention span of a gnat, and it's because we've been trained that way by the entertainments of the day and the like. And I listen, and I and I'm not trying to preach down. I'm the same way in some cases. I, I I made a bag of popcorn yesterday, and I couldn't even wait for the microwave to beep. Now I remember my grandma used to cook it on a pot in the stove, take half the day. When did take half the day? But it sure felt like it when you're like six years old. That popcorn ever gonna get done, grandma? I'm starving to death over here. I'm about to die. I'm famished. I've been pouring out water and fasting under the Lord. Put it in a microwave now and it takes less than two minutes and I can't even wait for that. Boop. 
I ain't got time for that. I'm hungry. And the problem is this, is that that's going to lead you to disaster when that type of mentality is carried over into the Christian life. Folks, I'm telling you, listen to me tonight, the reality is this, it's not an instant fix. It's a campaign. It's a journey of faith. And it must be one that is filled with continual prayer and worship unto God. It has to be. And look, sure, I, you know, we could sit here and go, oh, you know, here he goes. He's going to start talking about being in church. And we could do that, no, no question about it. But the reality is this. There are some who faithfully attend church, but yet they're still in Ichabod in their spiritual life. And the reason is because they're here, but they don't worship God. And they go home and there's no prayer life. And all they're really doing when they come here is making a spiritual appearance to keep up a facade and they're going through the motions of the whole thing. And they're living spiritually in their personal life. In Ichamod, the bottom line is this, folks, we have a mediator between us and God. His name is Jesus Christ. And we must simply get serious about Him. We've got to get sick of living in Ichabod and living in defeat and living in, you know, where the devil has, has a, not, a, not just an inch, but a foothold in areas of our life. We've got to get tired of that and we've got to get serious about seeking God. And we've got to be willing even to the point of giving up things that, that we would consider precious to us. But, but I'm telling you, friend, listen, then we've got to fill up our lives with prayer and seeking God and worshiping God. Why? Why do we have to have that? Because if you don't have that, you're not going to have His power. And if you don't have His power, you're not going to have His victory. You know, I thought about this tonight. The reality is my life is an example that this passage is still true and it still works. You don't need a 12-step program. You don't need special counseling. You just need to get serious about God. And I'm just telling you, I got serious and I gave up. Listen, I gave up friends that I had hung out with my whole life. And I gave, listen, I gave them up because they weren't, they weren't helping me to walk with God. They were hindering me. And I turned away from that stuff and I gave up the ungodly ways and I gave up the, the, the idols of my life. And yes, yes, the enemy came at me. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And then I begin to go to church and I begin to fill up my life with trying to walk with God and, and, and serve God and worship God. And what I found was this. God gave me the grace to overcome things. Gave me the grace to overcome addictions. Gave me the grace to overcome habits. I got ground back that the devil had had for years. Still getting ground back. It's like the old song says that we sang tonight. Here I raised mine, Ebenezer, and hither by thy help I come. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Oh yeah, it works. 
He works. It's just really whether or not we want to sit here tonight and just go, you know, I'm tired of being in Ebenezer. I want to be in it. I, I, or I'm tired of being in Ichabod. I want to be in Ebenezer tonight. Let's all stand tonight.